1: 6:30, Chad. Inside sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on 6:30, Chad. Drop pass, drives to McDavid
0: down the middle, wrist shot.
1: home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962 on 630
2: Chad. Leafs defenseman Jake Muzzin taken to a hospital in Toronto after being taken off the ice on a stretcher during the Leafs game against the Blue Jackets this afternoon. He was cross-checked by Pierre-Luc Dubois fell awkwardly and his head kind of hit the back of the leg of Bjorkstrand for the Blue Jackets. Muzzin- tried to get up, unable to. Stretcher came out on the ice, so hopefully Jake Muzzin is okay. Chris Johnson of Sportsnet also reporting regarding Jake Muzzin leaving the NHL bubble to go to hospital. I'm told medical officials will make the call on how long he would have to quarantine if and when he's ready to return. It'll depend on where he goes, how long he's gone, and how much risk he's exposed to, and hopefully Jake Muzzin is okay. That was a tweet from Chris Johnston from Sportsnet. The Leafs won that game 3 nothing over the Blue Jackets, so the series is tied 1-1. Freddie Anderson with the clean sheet in that game, Matthews, Tavares, and Riley getting the goals. Currently on the ice, Winnipeg has just scored. It is 3-2 for the Flames with eleven twenty left in the second period. Lindholm, Backland, and Monaghan for Calgary. Ehlers and Kopp scoring for Winnipeg. Milan Lucic had a goal disallowed a few minutes ago for goaltender interference. That series is tied 1-1. Flames leading 3-2. Rangers and Hurricanes just getting underway. The Hurricanes go for the sweep. The Wild and the Canucks is the late game at Rogers Place scheduled for eight forty-five. 45 The Islanders go up two games to nothing on the Panthers. They get a 4-2 decision. Jordan Eberle with two goal goals in that one. He's, uh, his second one came on the power play. And the Predators tie their series with the Coyotes with a 4-2 victory. It was Kelly uh, Yarncrock getting the eventual game winner in that one. It came about six minutes into the second period. So that is the update of the NHL action. The Blue Jays in Atlanta, bottom of the fourth. The Braves lead that game to nothing. Hey, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on Oilers and EE Radio, 630 Chet. My name is Reed Wilkins. Really appreciate you tuning in. Oilers back at it tomorrow. We got a face-off show at 6, the game at 8.30. Game 3 against the Blackhawks. There will be a Game 4. That's on Friday. We don't know when it will start. And if they need a Game 5, that would be on Saturday. So Games 4 and 5 scheduled to go back to back you can check in tonight i'm always happy to hear from you 780-496-0063 that is the number to both call and text you can email inside sports at 630 ched.com but really who emails anymore well sometimes i get an email and you can follow me on twitter at Reed wilkins r-e-i-d-w-i-l-k-i-n-s so the oilers pretty good effort overall last night another big game for Connor mcdavid who lit it up with this hat trick Oilers pour into the offensive zone, right to left, in front, shoot,
3: score! Connor McDavid, on a bouncing puck, is able to score in the first 20 seconds! Edmonton won, Chicago nothing! He'd go,
2: and chipped up the middle, and McDavid flying
3: around, into the net, backhander, score! Connor McDavid's got two!
2: Now it's chase-off. With
3: Nugent Opkins on that side, he'll fire behind the net. McDavid trying to center it, scored.
2: He threw it between Keith, between Crawford's legs, and Edmonton leads it 4-3 on Connor McDavid's first NHL hat trick in the postseason. All right, so McDavid with the hat trick, and that meant the hats came raining down onto the ice at Rogers Place. Well, it was uh, perhaps more of a it was perhaps more of a light drizzle. I don't even know if it was a light drizzle. It was maybe one of those where you say to yourself, "I yeah, you know, I think we're gonna go golfing or I think I'm gonna go for a run or we can take the dog to the park for an extended walk. Yeah, there are a few clouds, but I think it's going to be fine and then you get outside, you're outside for ten minutes, and oh, you feel a couple of raindrops and you think it's going to rain. But then those are the only two raindrops you feel. That's what it was like with the hats coming down last night. The NHL obviously doing whatever they can to simulate uh, a game with fans in the stands. It is sometimes tough to do, but they had the hats at the ready for a hat trick. And uh, McDavid uh, d- doesn't really need the gesture.
0: Uh, I found the hats a little unnecessary. Um, <laughs> rather just drop a puck and keep on
2: going. Hey, Jonathan Taves, you think your captain serious? How about our captain McDavid was fully engaged last night. I think pretty irritated after the game one loss. two goals in the first five minutes. And uh, you know, I give you Chicago credit. They, they came back to tie it three, three, but a pretty good all round effort for the Oilers. And we'll talk about that and what they need to do in game three, because I still think there is a lot of room for improvement, and a lot of vulnerabilities on the team that I that I think uh, a team deeper than the Blackhawks would certainly be able to exploit if the Oilers get into seven game series here down the road. But I'll discuss that after I talk to Jordan at seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three.
0: Hey, Jordan. Hey, Henry. go. Good. Hey, uh, quick comment, uh, and then a couple questions for you. Uh, I thought SNSU looked uh, real fast. I don't remember seeing him as fast. And I think a couple bounces go the other way, and he could have had a, another breakaway or two. Uh, I thought he was great. Um, and I just wonder, but obviously, McDavid's performance. What do you think was a bigger impact on the game and games going forward? Uh, like, are DE are actually playing physical and playing well on his own? More well, the secondary scoring. You kind of need all of it, but to me, it was all impressive,
2: and uh, yeah, it's a kind of Well, first of all, with Athanasio, and I'll probably get to the clips as we move along tonight. Tippett said that was his best game as an Euler. Now that's ten or eleven games, but yeah, I mean, he's here's the interesting thing about Athanasio Jordan. He's probably not going to play a lot because he's on the second power play unit. And we know that that means you might get 15 seconds of ice time, right? Because either they already score or they're changing at the end. And he's not going to kill penalties. So the more special teams there are, the less he's going to play. But here's what I liked about him, Jordan. He wasn't just fast. He took the puck to the net. I mean, we've seen plenty of fast players in the National Hockey League never really click because they stay on the perimeter. He, he made some, I thought that drive in the second period was downright fearless where he just tried to bowl his way to the net. Then he crashed into Crawford. And I think if he can keep that up and, and be a bit of a nuisance and that's sort of a threat to the other team, that's very valuable. Your other question is a good one. Um, I, I think the, I, I thought the physicality all around was impressive by the Oilers. I don't know if you saw the hit stats, like, Josh Archibald had seven hits. You know, like, that's what they need on that line.
0: Yeah, and I, uh, you know, I, I kind of thought, as far as physicality, I thought maybe Cassian played tentative, and he looked at that call that he got um, called against him. I, I thought that was a bit of a name bar call as opposed to playing on the ice. But I think if everyone leans into their toes and, and plays bigger than their size, Yama was throwing his weight around Archibald Benning. Uh, I think Chicago is, is right to, to be worried, and I think um, you know it's, it's nice to know that McDavid doesn't have to score a hat trick every game. Uh, you know, if we get some more secondary scoring, I
2: think we can go deep. Well, I think they can challenge Chicago's uh, the mobility of Chicago's defense. I, I realize that was McDavid that, that's that uh, sped around. I think it was Matta for that goal. but I, I don't think Chicago's defense is overly fleet of foot. So if they can get the pucks in deep and, and pound them a little bit, I think that's that's the that's how they're going to be successful in this series. Hey, thanks for calling man. I appreciate it. That is Jordan. Check it in seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. You can call or text to that number. Uh, okay, I want to get to something else that was brought up last night. We we talked about it a bit after the game, and well, it actually two plays because they were they were both uh, sort of interesting to watch. And Rocket, I'll get to you on on hold here in a second. So first of all, in the second period, Cassian is bleeding, and it looks like it's going to be a double minor on Strom. And the referees review it and they, they show that it was Shea and stick that came up and hit Cassian. So the penalty is negated. I went back and checked the, the, the rule change that came out last off season. We're talking about 2019 and for double, minor heist i'm reading this actually from an nhl press release for double minor high sticking penalties the referee making the call will have the discretion to review it at the scores table if upon review it shows that the offending stick was not from the player being penalized the referee will be able to rescind the call now it, the replay showed that strome appeared to have some measure of control of Shane's stick it was slowed down and i think that makes it appear like he maybe had more control than he actually did but if you actually read the language of what the nhl put out last summer it says that the referee can rescind the call not that the, he can then call another minor penalty at, as a result so even if he thought there was a holding the stick there the, the language to me does not suggest that that the referee then could have given Strom a penalty for holding the stick i i i, I know a lot of oilers fans wanted one but i actually think that was. I think that was enforced properly in that situation. And again, at full speed, I don't know if he had like a blatant hold of the stick or he was kind of flicking it out of the way. Tough for Cassian, but I, I do think that was the proper enforcement of the rule. What was not the proper enforcement of the rule uh, was Duncan Keith whacking Yammo in the face. Like to me, that... Like if I wrote the NHL rule book, that would be a double minder, even if there wasn't blood. Yamamoto was cut on the nose. If you watched on the TV feed, you heard Dave Tippett screaming at the refs to try to get them to come see that Yamamoto was bleeding from the bridge of his nose. And and it just never happened. Now, I don't know if the refs decided they just weren't going to look. It was late in the game. Everybody wanted to get out of there. Um to me, that should have been a double minor. So that's how I feel about those two situations. I know a lot of people are angry about the Cassian thing. I, I actually think that was called correctly. You know, it, even though it originally would have been a four minute minor against Chicago, maybe maybe it should have been a two minute minor. But uh, I, I think they actually got that one right. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Rocket is on the line. Go ahead, Rocket.
3: Hey, Reed. Yeah, I just wanted to touch base on what that other caller said about FSA. Or he was. He was lightning quick and I, I was watching the game with my son last night and I swear to god there are two plays I thought that guy, I thought it was dry Draisaitl that was you know protecting and driving with the puck like you mentioned you know there's a lot of guys that, that do with speed but if I'm tipping I'm telling him you know let's let's go watch that video over and over and over and over again cuz he looked phenomenal like he looked sidle like last night
2: Actually, there was one rush. I think in the might have been early in the third period where I I I too thought it was Leon coming up the ice. He went. I think he went in on a one on two. But and here's the th- here's the thing: when we talk about the physicality and and Athens, say, driving the net rocket, I think when you get into the playoffs and you know the competition level is going to step up and amp up every game and every series. I think so, you sometimes you have to have players who are going to dare the referee to call a penalty. That's what Cassian did three years ago against the Sharks. Right? He yeah. like let's face it, Rocket. Couple of those hits against the Sharks were probably charging. You know, Kachuk oh, yeah. did it earlier. Kachuk did it too, Cassian, earlier this year. So if, yeah. He said, "I'm just going to keep hitting Cassian, and if they don't call me charging, that's fine. And then I'll bait him into a penalty." So, and I think Athanasiu can do that, driving the net. I am going to drive the net, and guys are putting sticks on me, and 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 I might get knocked down. And eventually, it's going to be like, "Hey, I'm getting knocked down every time I'm going to the net. Are are you going to call one or not?" So, I think I I think that was a great game for Double A, and totally you know, totally a turnaround in pretty much every aspect for the Oilers.
3: Yeah, I think so too. And I hope, uh, I hope uh, his kind of yeah, game game, uh, you know, intensity uh, rubs off on the rest of the speedy guys. And we see that from a few more of them. Cause we had a lot of fast guys, you know, it's not just Nick David. All right. Thanks for calling. Cheers.
1: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear. Check breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Check planning for what's next and how to say for it.
2: thanks a lot for tuning in tonight yeah somebody just texting me in uh texting in to just make sure i'm clarifying this the referees could not have reviewed the keith play on yamamoto i'm just saying that they should have checked for blood if you see a stick goes go into a guy's face but yes they, they they can only review if there's a double minor being called if they're getting the right player and it wasn't friendly fire as they call it, if he's hit by a teammate stick. Okay. I'm sure you're all going to love this one from Cody. Cody says, read, talk about the elephant in the room. Dry sidle has looked terrible. What's his stats, shots and hits. All right, Cody, Leon dry. You probably know this Cody. He has three points in two games. He did not get, a point last night oddly enough leon dreisaitl did not get a shot on goal last night pretty rare he is at uh, 57 percent faceoffs he has two hits and he has 21 21 average ice time through the first two games all right here's what i think about leon dreisaitl i don't by any means think he has looked terrible through the first two games Uh, i thought his line had a pretty decent game yesterday um, they, they did create a goal when Ennis scored from long range after Yamamoto kept the puck free. I think the expectations are very high for Dreisaitl. And if he goes a game or two where he doesn't look absolutely dominant, I think people like Cody might think that that qualifies as terrible. Cody, I would disagree with you with the case of last night's game. And hey, Dreisaitl has did have bad games throughout the season, and he probably will in the playoffs. I pr- wouldn't put either of the first two in that. Well, the first game, pretty much every order there was bad to, to some degree. But I, I did not think he was bad last night. Let's remember something here, Cody and everyone. I would I would guess that the Chicago Blackhawks, probably 90% of their game planning has been about stopping two players, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Sometimes even as great as those Oilers players are, they're going to get checked a little bit. And players are going to have good games against them. Uh, Kirby Doc, the youngster for Chicago, has played really well. And he's been up against Leon a lot of the time. And I give him credit you don't if the Oilers are going to do anything in the playoffs they're going to need Leon and I have a feeling he's going to have some very explosive games as we go along Cody I think terrible is uh, I think that is very very uh, exaggerated on on your part I would not call Dreisaitl's game terrible by any means and another thing to remember Ryan Nugent Hopkins goes and plays with Connor McDavid and suddenly McDavid's a little more productive. you got to remember, the Oilers have a big three. The line that has two of the three on it is generally the better of the two lines. Taking nothing away for Ennis or Yamamoto, but Nugent Hopkins is, is a better player. And if he goes and plays on a different line, that's going to help that line. All right, good to have you tuning in tonight. Cody writing back after I responded to his text about Leon Dreisaitl. He says, uh, fair read, terrible, probably strong, but definitely needs that breakout game to get going. No shots had me concerned. That is uh, Cody discussing Leon Dreisaitl's play. Al says, read, uh, Leon has played so bad he's plus one after two games. I'll take it. Connor was minus one. Just saying. I thought we didn't talk about plus minus anymore. <laughs> and Jay Bueller, who always brings a smile on my face, says Leon was just allowing McHockey to showcase his personality in quotes where it counts. He'll be back next game. And then Jay has a little emoji of a hockey stick and a net. Are they emojis if they don't show emotions? They're images, I guess. I was going to say animations, but they're not moving. Maybe they just all count as emojis. Yes, uh, Jay Bueller referencing the Adrian Dater tweet from after the Oilers were thumped in. Game one where uh, Adrian Dater, who covers the Colorado Avalanche, uh, suggested that he was regretting picking the Oilers in the series and that apparently uh, Connor's bland personality prevents him from inspiring his teammates or wanting them to be inspired to play as his teammates. I'll tell you what. In hockey, there are a lot of publicly bland players, and uh, we don't always know what they're behind the scenes. I, I, I don't think Connor McDavid is one of them, and I think he's quite a competitive and inspired young man. Tomorrow, 6 o'clock face-off show, game at 8.30 right here on 6.30 Chet. I, I would still like to see uh, the Oilers play better defensively. Uh, I think it's been a very sort of spaced-out series. Playoff hockey is often hockey in a phone booth, the, of all the series I've watched, and obviously I've not seen every minute of every series, and I've, I've taken more interest in some than the others, but playoff hockey is usually hockey in a phone booth. Everybody's right on top of you, grind for all the space. Of, of all the series, I think the oilers Hawk series has looked the least like the playoffs, if you understand what I'm saying. But uh, the Oilers were better last night, and they got the saves from Koskinen. I am pleased to be joined by a young man from Sportsnet. It is Justin Bourne on the line. Justin, thanks for coming on. My name's Reed. How are you doing?
3: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Reed.
2: Hey, good to talk to you. Man, oh, man, I I, I know you, you, you're fitting us in here in a bit of a window, so thanks for doing this tonight. And I want to start, you have some interesting ties to Edmonton. Alaska Aces, I know it was only briefly, but was Jack Michaels not your play-by-play man?
3: jack michaels was the play-by-play man up in alaska and actually jack uh, jack was more than that there i think he dealt with per diem and rent and i had my interactions with jack it was he had quite the role up there
2: (laughs) yeah a, a jack of all trades so to speak now you you lived in alaska for a while but you were an ace just sort of at the end of your tenure there
3: yeah, I had the uh, the Mario Lemieux treatment where uh, I played home games for the Aces while I finished my uh, my education. Oh. So uh, it was a it was a fun time uh, playing with the, with the Aces and getting to know Jack as brief as that time was. Uh,
2: what what was it like uh, playing for Alaska Anchorage? I mean, obviously a bit more. I mean, Edmonton's kind of remote, but I think Anchorage probably at a at a different level of remoteness.
3: That's awesome. It was awesome. You know, like there's a real sense of community there and a real passion for the game. So. You got to know the people in the booster club, just like uh, I imagine. You know, Oilers fans are all uh, relatively tight around there, but it's, it's a smaller version of that, of course. So we got to know the, the boosters well and uh, I came to appreciate them and the surroundings. And it, it was all about hockey, right? That's like that's the biggest thing there. So it was a really cool experience uh, on my fly up. I saw uh, the northern lights and a moose, and I said, "This is somewhere I could spend four years." So it was a cool
2: experience. <laughs> and another tie to to Edmonton, you were also. And again, I know uh, this didn't last a long time, but you were an Idaho steelhead. And uh, I believe that was Derek Laxtall, the former Oil Kings head coach uh, in Idaho at that time
3: yeah yeah no absolutely uh you know i thought when you're going to go for ties you're going to uh, mention uh you know my dad and all those islanders oilers battles back in the day that's about <laughs> my only other edmonton tie but yeah Laxdal is a good one too
2: well yeah I, I made sure i did some research but i do want to ask you about your dad of course uh bob Bourne. now you were born in 82 so i'm guessing some memories of him playing or not many What, what can you tell us
3: yeah, you know, towards the end of his career. So he got traded to the Kings for the last two years. And I remember those days more than I do the Oilers days, um, you know, being on the ice after practice and around the guys. The the Islanders stuff, you know, sort of permeated my life as, as I got older. And we would go back for different events and friends of his would come stay with us. And, um, you know, I... I I went back and watched a lot of that hockey in my teen, teen years to make sure I knew what I was talking about because it certainly does come up a lot as it should. So uh, I- I'm up on a bit, Yeah, the natural memories of the Islander days. Uh, I don't exactly recall the second, uh, the 82 Cup, although I did sit in it, uh, you know, shortly after being born.
2: Oh, you did. They, so there's photos of it, I hope
3: they jinxed me they jinxed me i cursed my dad all the time I was like how do you have me touch the cup before i had a chance to win it? you didn't even give me a fair shake at it i'm still mad, still mad about that
2: before I even knew, no, oh man you're gonna have to correct me if i'm wrong was your was your dad uh, a sports illustrated sportsman of the year the year they picked a bunch of athletes who do community work
3: yeah yeah 1988 he was a sportsman of the year there my my brother jeff is uh got a spina bifida and hydrocephalus and my dad did a lot of charity work so yeah that year they picked a bunch of people from all over sports and i know it's one of the things my dad is most proud of uh over the course of his career is being included in that group
2: oh yeah that's awesome i I remember that that uh that cover with with him on it so that's awesome all right so we went down memory lane a little little bit thanks for doing that um man Justin. I, i don't know if you've seen anything further but uh it's so scary for jake muzzin uh in the, in the Toronto Columbus game today i i thought it he looked like he was kind of sitting up for a little bit but then but then wasn't able to get up so i hope he's okay
3: yeah there there's an element there i i know what you're talking about when he's sitting up there that it does make you feel like largely precautionary and i, I have no idea and i don't even want to speculate what the injury is but you're right i saw him kind of sit up shake his hands um, you know, he looked to be communicating just fine, so it looked all good. And then the scene dragged on for sort of another 15, 20 minutes after someone got out there and was able to talk to him. And um, obviously the, some of the answers led them to believe that caution was the way to go. So my hope is that that means they were just being super cautious. Uh, but, yeah, it was peculiar. You, you see some of the hits in hockey and the explosion, the guys bounce back up. That was sort of an awkward fall that didn't look like much. And uh, hopefully it wasn't much in the end, but it sure was uh, scary on the ice there for a few minutes.
2: Leafs lost the first game. Their high-scoring guys weren't able to produce. What turned it around for them today?
3: To be honest, that was a pretty dominating performance. You know, the, the first game they, they were pretty solid defensively too. They just couldn't get in and going at the offensive end. They just got more support. Game one all they had was Austin Matthews going in the second game. You know, John Tavares had a, you know, maybe a dozen shot attempts and ten shots and a breakaway. He was much better. Uh that made a difference and went a long way for them. You know, they finally got some power plays and their power play was frankly terrible, but at least it helped them control the puck, have that zone time, uh, and keep Columbus hemmed in. That's the the Leafs are going to win um, if their defense is just they have the puck on offense all the time. And today they were able to have the puck on offense, so the defense looked pretty darn good.
2: Yeah, so that series is tied uh, 1-1. and uh, Well, a few series are tied 1-1. I think we're going to see a lot of four- and five-game series here throughout the first round. I, I mentioned in my preamble to bringing you on that... You know, the Oilers now in a 1-1 tie with the Hawks. I think at times it has looked the least like a playoff series of all the ones that we've seen. Um, I think Chicago is really trying to to stretch it out and make those long passes if they can. The Oilers checked better yesterday. I still don't know if it was at a playoff level. And they basically didn't check at all in game one. <laughs> From your view out there, what are you seeing in this series?
3: Yeah, no, I think that's really good analysis. It's uh, it's really wide open, isn't it? That's, that's certainly not what we're used to with playoff hockey. Um, uh, you know, I think Chicago probably knows that they are the less talented teams, a team as much as there's a couple of big names over there. Uh, they can't hang with what the Oilers have uh, roster-wise. So I think they're okay with the scramble game. I think they're okay with run and gun. I think they're okay with, hey, let's just make this as wacky as possible and see if we can, if everything falls in our favor. So. To me, it's on the Oilers to tighten up the ship, to defend well. I do believe that they have more players that are, are going to score regardless, and they're going to find their way through it. But if they want to take their chances and play that sort of risk, you know, risky run and running game, I don't think it's going to play real well for them. At least it gives Chicago more of an opening than Chicago should probably have, given that the Oilers are the, the better team on paper.
2: Well, and the Oilers' special teams came through last night. Their power play's been good all year. They only needed one last night. But, they I mean, they killed off three consecutive power plays in the second period. And then Karras penalty was split between the second and third. And of everything that happened, and I know McDavid was awesome, to me that was the real turning point was killing off all those minors
3: yeah well this is this is the thing is that you know if edmonton can hang five on five with anyone you know you expect them to win the game i think that you know the best power play in the nhl second best penalty kill this season and like historically good power play so um yeah that that kind of can be their mantra is that if they can play five on five level with anyone you expect them to come out ahead and that's what's really big is when you win a series you end up saying okay well the things that we do well we did well in that series and that's what pushes us through that their special teams look good i think that's a really good sign for them they can keep that going i think that'll keep uh, chicago on their heels and and likely end up in a positive result for them
2: all right i I know we only got you for a couple minutes so i'll wrap with this maybe just uh something else from another series or two that has stood out for you i mean for me i saw a lot of minnesota and vancouver a couple of days ago and talking about team defense and making the game in a phone booth i thought minnesota uh you know guarded that scoring area they, they were hard on the Canucks star players and uh, you know I thought Vancouver had the goaltending advantage there but instead it's Kemper who gets the shutout to kick it off that's kind of one headline for me early in this round what about for you
3: well uh, there's a couple of them I think first off Carolina is sneaky good you know, that's right. a team that you know the Rangers had a pretty good like last push of the season. They're not they're not a bad hockey team and their record actually probably doesn't even do them justice. And I thought Carolina has rolled over them. Uh, they can finish that series off tonight, and that's without Dougie Hamilton and Brett Pesci. And it's viable that Hamilton and Pesci are back for playoffs in a matter of weeks here. So if they get everyone back, I think they're dangerous. Um, and and the New York Islanders are another team for me that, you know, when they They're a team like Columbus that can play defense just as well, but they can actually score a little bit. So, uh, you know, they're finding their way past a pretty good Florida team. I wouldn't be surprised to give them, uh, you know, see them give someone a really hard time in the first round of real playoff.
2: All right, Justin, where can people find you online and on the tube and on the radio?
3: Absolutely, everything's at Sportsnet. Hockey Central uh, at noon and uh, Sportsnet.ca is all the written work. Hey, thanks for
2: checking in tonight. This was a fun chat. We'll have to do it again. Thanks for going down memory lane a bit too.
3: Yeah, anytime, Reed. Thanks for
2: having me, man. That is Justin Bourne checking in with some playoff chat. Uh, Fun guy, awesome to catch up with him and uh, some thoughts on the Oilers and some other series. And yeah, good point. He mentioned about Carolina. Let's run through the scoreboard here for you, make sure I got the latest one up. Uh, Well, no score late in the first period, Hurricanes and Rangers. Rangers actually are shooting the Canes 9-4. Third period just underway at Rogers Place. this is weird for me talking about a game uh, about 15 blocks from my house between the flames and the jets (laughs) it's it's 4-2 for the flames at the start of the third period wild and Canucks later on Islanders have beaten the Panthers 4-2 to go up 2-0 in the series. Predators over the Coyotes 4-2. That series is 1-1. And as Justin and I were discussing, 3-0 Maple Leafs beat the Blue Jackets. That series is 1-1. 780-496-0063 is the number to call or text. Uh, we'll get to a couple comments from Dave Tippett and a few more thoughts on the Oilers-Hawks series when we get back. All right. Uh, four and a half minutes into the third period. Calgary still up four, two on Winnipeg. Milan Lucic also had a goal disallowed in that game for goal interference. Thought that was the right call. You had a, I believe it was Dubé, a Calgary player in the crease, kind of almost in behind Hellebuck and stopped them from moving to his right to block the shot. Not, blatant run the goalie type interference but i did think that's exactly why the rule was in place we had a caller earlier talking about andreas athanasiu and he looked pretty good last night dave tippett was asked during his availability this afternoon how do you evaluate players like a who don't get a lot of ice time on special teams
1: well first of all you have to recognize there's situations that that the team has players that play in certain situations and if you're in those situations uh, and and the special teams rise like he's he's getting some a little bit of time on a second power play for us. But what he is is what he did last night like you see those those individual bursts and and uh Plays where he's real hungry for the puck those are things that a player like him even though he might not be getting as much ice time as some other players he can have an impact he, he's a he's one of those guys that an explosive uh, circumstance where he jumps on a puck and creates a chance is uh, is where he's gonna have his biggest effect but he's been real solid and trying to do things uh, structurally that we're, we're trying to do but when he does get opportunities it's nice to see him try to create something like he, he had a chance last night on uh, uh, on a power play where he took a puck from the corner to the front of the net real good chance but you'd notice his speed throughout the game but sometimes the game you know the the special teams they it dictates how much time players get but as long as they recognize that what they're doing whether it's 10 minutes or 20 minutes what they're doing they've got to do their job to help our team win and recognize that and and double a was good last night he you know, he was happy, happy for the win. I was happy to the way to see how he played, how he reacted, and hopefully that's a good step going forward for him.
2: He's an interesting player. When you see somebody with that type of speed, and uh, I've seen it in uh, all of my 46 years on this earth, you get excited. I mean, I can remember Russ Courtnell speeding down the wing for the Montreal Canadiens, but he often wasn't very productive. Again, with double A, take it to the net. And is there going to be an element of his game that maybe we see a little more or that he can grow into where he's able to use that speed to to make plays, free up a teammate, find someone trailing on the rush? Rob made a good point last night, I thought, an overtime open line. Maybe he doesn't quite see the game. Uh, as much as McDavid, Nugent Hopkins, and will do? Of course he wouldn't, but is that why he he might at the moment be better suited for a third line type of role where he can add some speed to a third line, he can g- help get a cycle going with a couple other grinding type players, and he has enough skill to, to maybe finish the odd chances as a secondary scorer. But if he ever can really... Um, you know, become more of a playmaker and a guy who can work the cycle and throw the puck around a little bit, then I think he becomes a top six player. I don't know if he's there right now. I don't know if the Oilers necessarily need him to be there right now, but I, I do think they want him to be there some some someday. But when you see what he did last night, certainly intriguing and uh, makes you hopeful for the future of that player. Okay, I'm going to read this text here. And this person says, Reed, why has no one mentioned how the refs can see little borderline calls like the minor slash that put the Oilers down two men briefly in the second period, yet they miss obvious ones like the McDavid trip in the first of the first game, the blatant hit to the head that got Kajula suspended, and Drysaddle getting flattened with a check away from the puck on Ennis' third goal last night. And there are two refs with at least one ref staring right at the infractions that they refuse to call okay first of all I, I will say this as, as a talk show host in Edmonton um, I, I I try to be sort of selective when I talk about the refs because I, I don't want to seem like I'm whining or I want all, all the calls to go the other way I think sometimes there's a blatant call that has to be discussed and I think I try to do that either way I think Rob tries to do that either way Uh, I I think the circumstances you're mentioning, certainly I thought that was a ticky-tack slash uh, that put the Oilers briefly down two men last night. You know what? But in game one, I thought the hold that Connor Murphy got called for against Dreisaitl was ticky-tack. The ref standing behind the icing line was right there and didn't call it, and the guy 100 feet away at at center called it. So I think you try to have to look at that both ways sometimes. It is frustrating when there's something obvious that gets called and I do think we have to accept something at this juncture, folks. And I know you're not going to like this. They are not going to call every foul on McDavid. They, they they just will not. Hockey doesn't work that way, and it has never worked that way. And I'm not saying that that is right, but I don't think that you as Oilers fans are ever going to feel satisfied with the uh, level of enforcement on Connor McDavid. That's just how I look at it.